Isaiah chapter 11 will be in verses 1 through 9. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Pastor Ebby is going to come and preach from the word uh, this afternoon. Pastor Ebby is a good friend of mine. He is an elder at Foothill Church. He is also the, I'm going to make sure I say this right, the global HR advisor at World Vision. Okay, I got that. The Global HR Advisor at World Vision. And every time he comes, if you've not been here when he brings the word, he uh, just, he is so biblical and scriptural and just brings the gospel straight to us. And so I am excited. Uh, and would you welcome up with me, uh, Pastor Ebenezer Plupomplu. I had one job to do to just press the button to turn the red into green and then uh, I started fumbling, yes. Well, thank you very much, Pastor JD, for the opportunity again to speak to Echo. Um, on this last Sunday of uh, 2019, are you excited to go into the new year? We are ending the 19s and we are going into the 20s, right? Yeah, so today we are going to be focusing on Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 to 9, as it's been read for us today. Do you want to bow down your heads and let's pray? Eternal Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to go into your word. We beseech you, O God, that you open thou our eyes and the eyes of our mind that we will behold the wondrous things in your word. But I pray for your presence here today that you will kick me aside and you will speak to your church. I pray, O oh God, that every word that comes out of my mouth will be pleasing to you. We thank you through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. All right, Echo, um, it's such a pleasure to be here with you today. And 
I know that you've been going through the series of, of Isaiah, and the book of Isaiah is, is an Old Testament book, if you didn't know. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it's a book of prophecy uh, that is filled with prophecies about the Messiah. And Isaiah used three very important qualities to describe the Messiah as you walk through the book of Isaiah. He talks about the Messiah as the king. He talks about him as the servant. And he talks about him as the anointed conqueror. Now, if you've been going through Isaiah, you've been reading your Bible, commentaries, you listen to theological teachings, you will come to the understanding that biblical interpretation and biblical theologians uh, have, have, have concluded that who Isaiah is talking about as the king, the servant, and the anointed conqueror, the Messiah, is Jesus Christ. And one of those um, theologians, God Graham Godworthy, says this about Jesus. He said, Jesus is, the de is declared to be the fulfiller of all expectations of the Old Testament, he is the solid reality of which the history and prophetic expressions are a foreshadowing. In other words, the Messiah we are going to be talking about today, which you have been talking about in, in this series and will be talking about in this series, is Jesus Christ. So in and around Christmas, if you go to church, if you listen to carols tonight when they read, the lessons of, 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 of uh, they, they sing and ring lessons from the Bible. Scriptures are read a lot from the book of Isaiah. And the reason they do that is the fact that the book of Isaiah gives us a clear picture of who Jesus is. And in the season of Christmas, when we live in California and uh, Things, not just California, but we live in America, where commercialization has taken over the whole of the season. Understanding who Jesus is gives us a better grasp of the meaning of Christmas. So today, what we are going to be doing, using chapter 11, verses 1 to 9, and I will refer to verse 10, but I'm not going to include it a whole lot in what I'm going to say because I know you will cover it in the next sermon. We are going to be looking at the identity of Jesus. And we'll look at three facets, his ancestry, his reign, and his kingdom. And we will conclude by looking at what who Jesus is means for how we live our lives today. Well, for those of you who have not heard me before, uh, people tell me that I have an accent. So um, if, 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 if there's something I say which you don't quite hear, catch me at the end of the sermon. But sometimes as I'm speaking, my accent gives me an advantage because you have to listen very intently. And clearly, otherwise you will miss something that I have to say. Okay? Now, so we are going to be talking about the identity of Jesus, who Jesus is, in the scriptures that have just been read for us in Isaiah 11. But for us to understand the identity of Jesus in this particular text, 
it is important that we place it in context. Okay? So Isaiah is talking about, about, about the king, the, the, the Messiah who will come to save Israel here. But why the necessity of the expectation of the Messiah? If you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14 to 20, and I will read it very quickly. Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 20. It says, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations around that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or the cost uh, um, for, for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Um, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive gold and silver. And when he sits on the throne of, the, of, of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of the law approved by the Levitical priest. And he shall, and he shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words in the law and these statutes, and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right or to the left, so that they, he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So what we've just read is God's proclamation of how kings in Israel should behave how they should live, right? And so those who does what the law says, they are supposed to write it. In fact, it is interesting when I was reading this because, you know, in, in, in man, many of you may not know, but I come from a tribe in Ghana where the process of the installation of what we call chiefs and kings, chiefs are sub to the king, the king is in charge of the ethnic group, the process of the installation of a king has something like this in there, where you don't just pick up the old rules of the throne, but when you are sat and installed on the throne, I kept thinking, why would they do that until I read this in scriptures? And this came back to me so vividly that, you know, my, my dad will instruct us about it. You will get a new book you will write the names of each of the leaders of the ethnic group in it, and in it you write the rules of the ethnic group. And that is pretty interesting to me, that this is part of what God required of the kings. Those who did that, the Lord added a promise in verse 20. And he said, you will continue long in your reign. But those who did not, of course, it goes then that they will face the consequences of their disobedience. And as scriptures has it, some of the kings 
not only broke these rules, they went and stretched it so far off. They disobeyed the Lord. And so the Lord cut their reins short. And it is this that Isaiah will use the imagery of a lumberman or a lumberjack. We call it lumberman in the rest of the world, but I hear in America you call it lumberjack. Right? I keep saying this, even though this is my ninth year of living here. Um, uh, you call it lum, 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 lumberjack. So Isaiah uses the imagery of a lumberjack to describe the consequences that befell Israel after David, Solomon, and then his son, Rehoboam, they refused, the part of the tribes in the south refused to submit to him, so the tribes broke into two. You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, right? They failed to listen to that, so God cut them short, and Isaiah used the imagery of a lumberjack for that. And interestingly, God is the lumberjack, and in his hands, the axe he uses to fell that tree were the unbelieving nations around them. In this particular instance, he used Assyria, the empire of Assyria, for that purpose. And talking about lumberjacks, that reminds me, as a young man growing in Ghana, how many of you love chocolate? More than 50% of the world's cocoa that is used to manufacture chocolate comes from Ghana. So when I ate chocolate first in the West, I'm like, this is not chocolate because it's all messed up with, with, with all the sugar stuff. I know what real chocolate looks like, right? Kind of boosting a little bit here, right? Yeah, I know what real chocolate looks like. But the cocoa tree that produces the cocoa beans out of which you get the chocolate you have, there is a way we handle it when the cocoa tree has a disease on it, or the cocoa tree is, is a perennial tree, so it can last for 20, 30 years, pro producing every season. But it gets to a point when diseases like black pods, is a fungi disease, it attacks the tree, you know, from the leaves and the stem, and the cocoa beans come on the stem. So once it is attacked, it can't produce anymore. So what we do is you stump it. You go all the way down, measure three, four inches from the ground, and you cut it. And when you cut it, the objective is that you are preventing the disease that came from the leaf and the stem to get to the root. And we look forward for new shoots and springs or new, new stems to grow out of the stump from the ground. So when I read this, and I saw what Isaiah was doing. I'm like, oh, this is pretty interesting. For those who have not come from a culture that does something like this, it might sound foreign for you. But you stamp it so you can get a new growth that will give you the desired fruit that you are looking for. So keep this image of how we handle trees that are fruitless and trees that have been diseased in the tropical world, in your mind. Because Isaiah will use it to talk about the, 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 the Messiah. So if you walk out of this room and you forget everything I say, including my funny accent, don't forget this. 
that what Isaiah 11, 1 to 9 is telling us about Jesus is that he is the root and the shoot whose rule will be by righteousness, faithfulness, and his word, and his kingdom will be one that is filled with perfectly restored peace. That is a long sentence summary. Let me read it again. He is the root, Jesus is the root and the shoot, whose rule will be by righteousness, faithfulness, and his word, and his kingdom will be one of restored perfect peace. So let's break this down into three. And we look at the root and the shoot, which is the ancestry of Jesus. Then we look at how his, the nature of his reign, and then we look at the nature of his kingdom. So let's start from the ancestry. And the sub-thought here for you is that he is the root and the shoot in whom the Spirit of God rests. So building on this idea of the lumberjack stamping, remember we talked about the kings who were stamped? Their reign was cut short because they disobeyed God. The Bible talks about, there shall come forth, in verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So what Isaiah is talking about here is the kings in the line of David who did not live according to the, to the laws of God, God stamped them. So he is looking forward for a new shoot from the stump that will grow out and behave and rule and build a kingdom just the way he wants it to be. And Isaiah is using this shoot to describe Jesus the Christ. But how? How can Jesus be this shoot? Well, in Matthew chapter 1, if you read the genealogy of Jesus, for those of you who have been there also, because it got to a point where when I'm reading the genealogy, I'm like, what am I going to make of this? What is this, all of this doing for me? Well, in my culture, we typically don't have CVs. Your genealogy is your CV. So who you are a son of and whose house you come from and whose last name you write determines who you are. So when I step out and I say I am a puplampu, when you go to my culture, that has some weight to it. And so there, there is history have shown that some kings like Herod removed some people from their genealogy because they don't want to be associated with them. So you look into the genealogy of Jesus, Jesse is identified as the father of David. And in fact, the Bible uses a definite article before king. He says, Jesse, the father of David, the king. Keep, keep that in your mind. We will get to it in a minute. Now, Jesse, the father of David, the king, and you go down out of which Jesus came. So when the Bible says the shoot from the stump of Jesse, when we are talking about kings, we are, we are, we are talking about David here. Right? But David's descendants messed up, and that is why the tree was stumped. And so God has to do what we do when our computers freeze, 
Control-Alt-Delete, if you are using a PC, and Command-Opt-Escape, if you are using a Mac. God has to reset the whole system in order for him to restart a kingdom that resembles what he is looking for. And so, to do that, since David was the chosen one, we need another David. Right? And so, that is why the Bible will say, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Well, this can be a little confusing. But let's use some parallelism here, grammatical parallelism. Right? Do you remember when... Paul will argue in the book of 1 Corinthians that because the first Adam messed up, the last Adam comes to correct what the first Adam messed up. It is the same thing that is happening here, right? So the first David and his descendants messed up. So Jesus then becomes the last David to correct what was messed up. In the past. Now it gets clearer as we look at this. Uh, and, and, and it is clear that it is Jesus we are talking about here because in verse 10, the Bible says, In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So Jesus is again referred to as the root of Jesse. But what's going on here? How can you be the shoot and be the branch that bears fruit and you are the root? How can that be? Right? Well, to say a person is the shoot and the root and the branch that bears fruit is to say that person is self-existent. And who is self-existent? Only God. And Jesus, we know, is God. Right? In fact, Jesus himself described himself in this language. You go to the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 13 and 16. Jesus wrote, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So this is Jesus we are talking about here. He is the fresh shoot out of the messed up line of David who will correct and create the kingdom that his father desires. Now, this particular self-existent king, Isaiah also says, has the spirit of God resting in him. You look at verse 2, he says, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and the spirit, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This messianic king has the Spirit of God resting in him, endowing him with wisdom and understanding that distinguishes between the issues of the heart. He has that innate ability to devise military strategy, and he has the strength to conquer wickedness. 
So when we talk about wisdom, talk about knowledge, talk about counsel, and talk about the spirit of might here. Counsel typically is not referring to when we walk to each other and we talk about each other. It's typically talking about military strategy because this is the conquering king, the king who has the master strategy of devouring evil within our world. So what Isaiah is saying to the troubled nation of Israel is to say, Assyria is threatening you. Your political system is messed up. Spiritually, you are a gone. And so you're looking somewhere else for someone to save you. He says, don't look anywhere else. Don't look to Egypt. Don't look to anyone else. But look to the God, your God. Look to him who is the great I am. Look to him who has all knowledge deposited in him. Look to him who has all the power in the world. He is the only one who can save you. If this is describing Jesus, then let me ask you, Christian, is this the Jesus to whom you are committed? If he is, then that sure has implication for how you and I lead our lives. I want you to keep that in your head, and we'll get back to it. Now let's look at the nature of his reign. And a key point here for you is the fact that righteousness and faithfulness shall characterize his reign and his power, his might, shall be just his word. Now, building on Jesus' ancestry, Isaiah will go on to describe the nature of his reign and he will talk about the delight of the Lord being the fear of God and he will talk about he shall not judge by what he sees. He shall not judge by what he hears. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the bread of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Isaiah is describing the Messianic king whose delight is the fear and reverence of God as the one who will exercise judgment and decisions not by what he sees, unlike us, not by what he hears, unlike us, but he is endowed with the power of the Spirit to make distinguishes between things that we don't even show amongst ourselves. He can look through us and he can see our thoughts and our motives. This is Jesus Christ, who knows us more than we know ourselves. And in his rule, we are swayed by people who are poor. When you walk on the street and you see a homeless person, you are swayed, you want to give them something. But we know that rich or poor, our hearts are all far away from God. And so in those days, people will rule in favor of the poor no matter what happens. But when it comes to Jesus, not even the situation of the poor sways his justice. He is even-handed across board. So my brother, my sister, my friend, 
whether you are poor or you are rich, it is not the state of your wealth that determines your acceptance before the Lord Jesus Christ. What determines your acceptance is your heart before the Lord. His righteousness, his faithfulness cannot be swayed by anyone. And when he speaks, that is the only weapon he needs. I remember listening to Pastor J.D., I think about a year or two ago, and he preached from Isaiah, and he gave the example, you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the people were coming with Judas to come and get Jesus, they asked, we are looking for Jesus, right? And he responds, I am he, and they fell, right? His words are so powerful. If he shouts like I'm shouting, I am sure that they will not only fail, they will burn and their ashes will evaporate on the ground. Right? But he probably may have just whispered. So his words, it's not like bullets are flying out of Jesus' mouth. It's like Hollywood right now. You open your mouth, say something, then bullets flying, killing everybody. No. His words, the Bible says, are the only weapons he needs. So this is the Jesus we know. While describing Jesus' physical reign, all this imagery we are seeing here, I believe this expression of who Jesus is from Isaiah is also expressing his ongoing reign over the hearts of every true Christian today. So the question you and I should ponder then is, how are Jesus' righteousness and faithfulness reflected in your life today. Again, I'll get back to this in a few minutes. The final aspect of what Isaiah is talking to us here is about the nature of his kingdom. And what I want you to see here is the fact that in Jesus' kingdom, peace shall be perfectly restored. Now, building on the nature of his reign we just talked about, Isaiah will go on to describe the nature of Jesus' kingdom in verses 6 to 9. And in there, as we have heard it read, you are seeing children playing with cobras. And I mean children who are still being breastfed, playing with cobras. You have children who have been weaned from breast milk, putting their hand into the place of the other. Right? Calf, and I love the way the Bible put it, fattened calf, right, will lie with the lion without a problem. In which world did this happen? In fact, in my local language, we have a proverb which says, you guys have, you're like, what kind of Greek are you talking about? It simply means, our people say, children don't know that death exists in the mouth of the cobra. Because when you go to farm and it's lying there and it's coiled, when a child stands on it, 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 it puffs up. So it feels like you are on a bouncing castle. And so when that happens, our people say, oh, you have no idea the death you are playing with right there. If it turns and bites you, you are dead. That is the nature of our world. Right now, these are metaphorical descriptions, but they are also real descriptions. In one sense, Isaiah is depicting the perfect 
peace that Israel will experience in the kingdom of this messianic king, this anointed conqueror. A description that offers that the troubled nation of Israel hope in expectation. In another sense, this is depicting the return to the perfect Edenic peace that existed before we fell from grace. The kind of peace that sin has robbed from us. This peace, according to Isaiah, is rooted in the knowledge of the Lord, according to verse 9, that is spread like the sea across the world. In this kingdom, all hostility, destruction, and hurt, as we know it today, will be gone. They will be eradicated and replaced with a restored wholeness that is depicted by the calf living with the lion, the oxen eating the same thing like, 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 the, like, the, like the leopard, and babies playing with otherwise known dangerous reptiles. The future kingdom of a perfectly restored peace that Isaiah urged the Israelites to hope for is one that has already begun in the life of them that know our Lord Jesus Christ. To them, the kingdom of God has already started with Jesus having restored peace between them and our Father in heaven. It is this peace that the angels who announced the birth of Jesus talked about when they sang in the words, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. This is the peace that Jesus accomplished on the cross of Calvary, which can be received freely by any and everyone. I love the way the Bible puts it. He said, whosoever believes in him can receive that peace. Isaiah's call for the nation of Israel to come back to their covenantal relationship with the one true God, the shoot and the root of Jesse, the righteous and faithful one, the great I am, and the restorer of peace between God and man is as relevant today as it was in the day when the prophecy was given. Look around in our world today. We are so spiritually deteriorated that we have continued in the path of moralizing and legalizing sin. But that is the world. Let's come here. Let's focus for a moment for you and I who say we are Christians. Our desire to learn of the word of God is so deteriorated that the average Christian today does not know a quarter of his Bible. Which is why I'm so excited that churches like Echo will take the time to teach you how to study the word of God and how to live it out. Don't miss that. Because when I was growing up, I couldn't hold the Bible. Today, I can hold it. And I wish I can memorize every part of this before I get back to my people. If you have that opportunity, don't miss it. We are a people in the church who we hate the word holiness. 
when we are talked about how to live in the righteous and faithful way, they tell you this is the American way. You don't tell me what I should do. Not in the kingdom of God, my brothers. If you are a Christian, I challenge you to think about this. How does the righteousness and faithfulness of Christ reflect in your life today? Some of you come here. You hear about membership classes. You don't want to be a part of it. Why? Because you want to rule your own lives. I challenge you today. Isaiah says, it is only being part of that kingdom that your receipt of the full restored peace will happen. What is your desire to share the word of God? We live in a very individualistic environment where we keep to ourselves. Even when the Lord reverberates in your heart and in your ear to share the word with somebody, we resist it. I'm not talking about the world. I'm not talking about Hollywood. I'm talking about us. What do you use your money for? Who do you look to for protection? Is it your bank account? Do you feel secure because of your investment? Is it your car? Is it your house? Talk to the people who have experienced floods and typhoons and hurricanes. In a minute, all of that goes away. You and I have an opportunity to invest in a kingdom that never rots. We have an opportunity to build our souls for a kingdom that will never, never end. Is this the Jesus you are committed to, Echo? If this is him, then reflect with me for a moment. How well do you know him? And how does that knowledge of the Lord Jesus rule your life? I mean your daily life, not the life in this building. Your life when you are under the bedsheet with your own phone. Your life when you're on the freeway and someone crosses you. Your life when something happens and the light goes off in your house for one minute. It flickers for one minute. The light can go off for weeks where I come from and we don't shout. How does your knowledge of Jesus impact your life? How do you live do you live by what you hear and what you see? Are you perturbed about who is in the White House? Are you perturbed by the markets? Are you perturbed by the weather? Are you perturbed by what the doctor tells you? In the kingdom of our Lord, he lives by righteousness and by faithfulness. Are you faithful and are you pursuing righteousness? Are you preoccupied building a reputation for yourself as human or you are preoccupied with advancing the kingdom of God? I am so excited about Echo. Why? Because this is one of the churches I know if anybody walks through that door, they will hear the gospel. 
You walk into any other churches around, churches are dying and closing their doors. Why? Because you and I, who are Christians, are failing to stand up and live up to the standard that God has called us to. We just came out of Christmas. I was talking with Pastor J.D., and he told me he knows his own heart, that he overindulges. I do too. I love to sleep. I love to eat good food. I love to be with my family. And I love to watch movies with them. But remember, we have a bigger agenda. How are you sacrificing that for the purpose of the kingdom of God? If you are here and you don't know the Lord, it must all begin there, knowing Jesus. He's calling you. Have you been trying to rule your own life? Trying to do it the way you know. Ask anybody and they will tell you that doesn't work. Jesus promises rest to every and anyone who is willing to accept him. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His name is the only name given to man under the heaven by which we can be saved. If you hear his voice today, don't hack in your heart. Let us pray. Eternal Father, I thank you for Echo, and I thank you for my brothers and sisters, and I thank you for your word. I pray for each and every one of us in this room who are Christians today, that, Lord, you will rekindle a fire that will keep burning in our hearts and in our stomachs, that will make us want to stand up and be on fire for you. That will make us want to read and learn your word to know what is in it so we can live it out the way you call it. I pray, oh God, that you will grant us the courage to shake the norm of nominalism. But for every member of this church, we will be bold enough to live out our faith. For anyone who is here who does not know you, Lord, I pray that you are the one who draws all men unto yourself. So, Lord, you will draw them to yourself. And in the end, we will look back and give glory to you. We bless you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.